If you have your Bibles tonight, let's take them and let's go back to the book of Ecclesiastes, the first chapter. We were there this morning, and um, as I was preparing for the uh, Sunday morning service, and then I transitioned for Sunday night, I sort of had my Bible still open, Ecclesiastes chapter number one. I knew that we would be emphasizing and hearing some testimonies from the uh, campaign, and I just felt led of the Lord to to look at a couple of verses here, really just two verses uh, here in the first chapter of the book of Ecclesiastes. And I want you to look at them with me. Really not all that familiar, or really all that unfamiliar to us, uh, but I want to emphasize a few things here tonight as it relates to what we've experienced over the last week. The Bible says in verse number nine, the thing that hath been, it is that which shall be. And that which is done is that which shall be done. And there is no new thing under the sun. Is there anything whereof it may be said, See, this is new. It hath been already of old time, which was before us. For the next few minutes, I'd like to preach to you a message I've entitled, Nothing New. Nothing New. As we said this morning, Solomon wrote this particular book, and specifically this first chapter. He wrote it, and he speaks of his general sense of displeasure with his life as it had been primarily lived for pleasure and for his own selfish interests. And we really tried to hammer that theme home this morning, that Solomon emphasized that I, I, I lived for worldly pleasure, I lived to please my flesh, and it really was nothing but emptiness. It was really ultimately unsatisfactory, he, 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 he admits. And he had worked hard to be full of things, and he discovered that these things had not satisfied or they had not filled the emptiness of his heart and of his life. And and Solomon, like many people, thought surely with all of the wealth and all the wisdom that uh, that he had, that he could, if no one else could, he could discover a new or better way of life and living. But he was ultimately destined to fail. And I just have to tell you that life down here, life down here is what it has always been. There, the, the, where you, you and I, sometimes we, we fool ourselves into thinking, we deceive ourselves into thinking that, you know, okay, we have six, 7,000 years of human history, uh, of, of, of human beings living here on this earth, and, and somehow, someway, we're going to figure out something that they haven't figured out. That we're going we're gonna to discover some secret to life and living that they haven't discovered that we're going, to, we're going to be able to do things that have never been done before. And, and we discover that when one lives for themselves, they work hard and they accumulate wealth, but they're never satisfied with what they have. We, we, ha- we hit on that this morning. They eventually grow old and die, and then they'll eventually be forgotten. And that is the sum total of life lived under the sun, and it explains why this world is, so, is largely so unhappy and dissatisfied. You're going to work with folks tomorrow who this thought perhaps is beginning to, uh, to, to hit them. I've been working for 25, 30 years, and, and, and I, I, I have retirement to look forward to, but what is retirement? Retirement for most people is, for a lot of people, it's doctor's visits, and surgeries, and it's, you know, I mean, we talk about the golden years, but most folks discover the golden years aren't so gold, right? The golden years, in many respects, are full of difficulty, and then, and then they, they're hit with this thought, and after the golden years, then what? Then I die. 
And then what? And then I'm, uh, I'm, I'm largely going to be forgotten. That's the, that's the sum total of life. And they're, and they're reminded of this with every trip, perhaps past a rest home or a nursing home. One of these days I could be living there. Every, every stop at a hospital, every visit to a funeral home, Every drive past or through a cemetery is another cold reminder of this truth. And yet you and I, as believers, we have discovered that there is a better way to live. By believing on Christ, we find satisfaction in Him. And we're given eternal life so that when this life ends, it doesn't really end. Because Jesus said in John eleven twenty six, Whosoever liveth, and believeth in me shall never die. It's the truth of Scripture. Jesus himself said it. Now this reality, listen, can be yours tonight. If you don't know the Lord as your Savior, if you'll simply repent of your sins and believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you can be born again. You can have eternal life. And you can have peace and satisfaction in this life as well. That's really what these teams of folks have been proclaiming in the neighborhoods this week. That's really what it's all about. We didn't go door-to-door preaching politics. We didn't go door-to-door preaching, you know, self-love and self-help. No, we went door-to-door preaching and proclaiming the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's the only worthwhile thing in which you and I uh, could give our lives to. Solomon wrote that in life there is no new thing under the sun. Obviously, in the context of this passage, I believe he's writing that there's no, there's no lasting pleasure or happiness in this life that has yet to be discovered that will end the crazy cycle that people are caught up in. So again, we're, we're trying to understand the context here. And Solomon said, I, I gave myself to pleasure and, and to enjoyment and to living for myself, and I, and I discovered that it was ultimately empty. It did not satisfy and when he writes that there's no new thing under the sun, he is saying this. He's saying, you, if you'll do the same thing, you will discover like I did that there is nothing that has not yet been discovered that is of a fleshly nature, that is of a carnal nature, that will fulfill the satisfaction and the longing of your heart. That, that's what he's saying here. So understand that that is the, the, primary, the primary context. The Solomon had experienced every earthly pleasure and happiness And he reveals to us that all of them delivered no lasting satisfaction or joy. So that's the proper context or understanding of what is being written here. However, however, I believe that this truth can be expanded into every area of life. In other words, when we read our Bibles, we understand that there's a primary application, but there can be some secondary applications as well. There can be some other things that we take away from a passage of Scripture. And I believe, as a, as a preacher of the Word of God, that I, I, I need to point out what the primary application is, and that's what he's saying here. And again, for, for more on that, you can listen to the message this morning and perhaps maybe gather a little bit more of what we talked about in that, in that vein. But I want to I just say this, that man is basically the same in every generation. I think, that's a, I think that's a secondary application. That when you look at, when you look at the human race, Solomon writes about gener- one generation passes away and another generation comes on the scene. And when you analyze and you observe the different generations that have been down through the history of mankind, here's what I, here's what I believe you'll find. I believe you'll find that they're pretty much all the same. 
that they, they, they pretty much do the same things. They're living for the same things. They're focused on the same things. Why? Because there's one thing that unites us all, and that's our sin nature. Within all of us is a, is a sin nature. It is, uh, it is just part of our DNA. It's part of who we are. And it causes us to live and to act a certain way. And people talk often about the differences in generations. And again, every generation does have its own nuances and perhaps idiosyncrasies. But at the end of the day, here's what I believe. I believe we are, sent, we are essentially all the same. I, I think to myself that, you know, we have in this room tonight different generations. I, I, I would say in this room, you'd have the baby boomer generation. I, I believe I'm, I'm a member of Generation X, I think. And, and, and there's the, the, the uh, millennial generation. And, and then there's the young people. And, and we, could, we could read and we can discover and we can consider the various studies that have been done. Say, well, this generation does this and this generation does that. But at the end of the day, listen, at the end of the day, Every generation is the same. There's nothing new. There's nothing new under the sun. My generation might discover a a, a new or a faster way to do something, but the heart of man is the same as it has always been. Now, I want to make a connection here to what we've experienced this last week. I want to give you a little bit of history. The Smite campaign began in 1970, and I believe, if I remember correctly, after speaking with my grandfather many, many times, who was involved in that first smite and for many smites after, I believe the first campaign was held in New Brunswick, Canada. Well, that was 53 years ago. Well, let me say that again. That was, maybe I shouldn't say that again. That might be depressing for some of you who were around in 1970, but that was 53 years ago. To put it in, a, in another way, listen, that was more than a half century ago. <laughs> Shall I keep going? No, I, I better stop, right? So the first Smite campaign was held in the year 1970. At the time, now think about this, at the time that this church launched its Smite campaign, I know there's other churches and groups that do a Smite program, but at the time this church launched the Smite campaign, think about this, our church was just 12 years old. Now think about that for a minute. Cleveland Baptist Church started and August of 1958, and the first Smite campaign was in the summer of 1970. That means this church hadn't even, hadn't even arrived at adolescence yet. We were just 12 years old as a church. I, um, I have to think, I have to think that, that those who were part of that first campaign probably never dreamed, never dreamed that we would, that we would be 23 years into the new millennium and we would still be running a smite campaign. I, I just have to think they'd never dream, never dream that, that that would still be going. I remember my grandfather telling me a story, and I, I think if I remember correctly, he talked about a man who really the, who had the idea for the smite campaign. And uh, he had kind of pitched the idea, and the idea was this, is that I, I had the idea, but I don't, have the, I don't have the people for it. And he looked at you know, Cleveland Baptist Church, and he looked at my grandfather, and he said, you know, he said, you don't have the idea, but you have the people, so let's put this thing together. My understanding is that in the, maybe the mid-90s, late 90s, these two, these two paths, their paths crossed once again, my grandfather and this man that had the initial idea, and he, and he looked at my grandfather, my, my grandfather told me this a number of times, and he said, you're still doing that? Like, no way. You guys are still doing that year after year. Yes, we are still doing it year after year. My first smite was in 1992, 
in Mansfield, Ohio. Uh, that would be, if you're, again, if you're doing the math, that would be 30, how is that even possible? Some of you are shouting out, I'm not caught up on how many years ago, I'm, I'm caught up on, I can't believe it's been that many years ago, 31 years ago was my very first Smite campaign in Mansfield, Ohio. I, at that time, was uh, 13 years old. I was a 13-year-old young man, and I got to tell you, I'll never forget that week. I will never forget that week. It made quite an impression on me. I mean, I'd heard about Smite over the years, but now here I am, I'm part of it, you know. And I tell you, I walked into that week, I was so nervous and frightened and scared and, you know, wondering how am I going to how am I going to do this, and am I going to be able to do it? And just the Lord gives grace, and he gives strength, and, and he gives what you need day by day. And I just have to tell you that over the years, we, we certainly have made some tweaks and uh, some adjustments to smite. Uh, we, we've eliminated certain things uh, over the years. I, I, remember, I remember there used to be a group of people who used to travel around, and they'd do a puppet show. And uh, I'm not a big fan of puppets. I just think, you know, whatever. And I didn't think the kids were too big of a fan of them either. I thought we could do a little bit better than this. And so we eliminated puppets. Now, if you love puppets, I, I apologize. But I just felt like we could do some things a little bit better. You'll, you'll like this. We eliminated the clowns. Yeah, the clowns. I, I discovered that people are weirded out by clowns. Did you know that? There are people literally terrified by clowns. You, I can't even tell you how many times the police got called because our clowns were walking into a McDonald's. To order, a, you know, to order a Big Mac. They're going in there to hold the place up. Or well, Apparently there's this, there's this you know, under, undercover culture of clowns robbing things and doing crazy things. I'm like, we can, we can do better than this. We can, we can do away with the clowns. So we've made some, we've made some tweaks and we've made some, uh, some changes. We've had some transitions in leadership. Oh, man, for probably close to 30 years, my grandfather oversaw the Smite campaign. And then several more years, Brother Wolven and... And then I was privileged to be able to lead it. And then several years ago, we transitioned to Brother with Sam, who, who now leads the campaign. So yeah, there have been, there have been changes in the Smite campaign. I, I remember one, one year, uh, my dad, after a Smite campaign, just said, I feel like we need to be a little bit more uniformed. And so he recommended, let's, let's get everybody some T-shirts and let's dress in polo shirts so that we can be identified as we're out and about, you know, that, that we're, uh, you know, we're in uniform. This is who I'm with. And, and it's not just some random stranger standing there, but there's an identification. I'm part of the neighborhood Bible club and the name of the church is on the back. And so we, we've, we've made changes. Those, those things have happened, but the basic tenets of the Smite campaign remain virtually unchanged. And I just have to, as I thought this week, some things, without a doubt, some things have happened over the years that have affected our society as a whole, including, including affecting the Smite campaign. I, I thought to myself, what are some of these changes? I, I, would, I didn't go back and, and look at all the research and consider the statistics and the studies, but I have, to, I have to imagine there are more homes now in which there is a single parent than there was in 1970. I just have to think. When you read the statistics about divorce and, and when we even, you, you bus workers, you know, the vast majority of the kids that you're bringing in, you know, there's either a mom in the home or there's a dad in the home and some of them don't even have that. Some of them it's a grandparent or an aunt or an uncle. And we understand that. We acknowledge that in the last 53 years, the family unit of the United States of America has not improved but has declined. And so there's, there's more single parent homes than there was in 1970. And, and we would also have to admit this, that where two parents are still in the home, there are more of them in which both parents work outside of the home than there were in 1970. Uh, in other words, there are a whole lot more uh, 
double income homes than there were back in those days. You go back 53 years and traditionally the dad would go off to work and, and he'd provide for his family and mom would stay home and she would, she would keep the house and look after the children and, and so she was home during the day. I'm going somewhere with this. I'm, I'm trying to help you to understand that, that society and it's some of its shifts certainly have had some of an, somewhat of an impact on the Smite campaign. Because today, you, you don't have, uh, you don't have as, many, as many kids that are just kind of wandering the streets and hanging out on the playgrounds and, and, uh, you know, and, and are looking for something to do. Most of them are at some type of a daycare or at a day camp or you know, they're maybe being watched by a grandmother or a grandfather. They're not even at the home. And so as we go door to door, there just aren't as many, there just aren't as many people out and about looking for a program like this than there, there, than there once was. I also have to say that today, as opposed to 1970, most homes have multiple televisions, computers, video game consoles, and lots of other entertainment devices than they would have had 53 years ago. Some of these things had barely been really utilized, and their uses certainly are completely different today than they were back then. Obviously, computers existed in 1970, but certainly not the way you and I think of them today. They were mostly used in maybe big businesses and, and in, in, in shops and that sort of thing to, to accomplish certain tasks, but they were not. The folks in 1970 didn't have computers in their homes. They certainly didn't have smartphones and, and, and tablets, and they didn't have streaming on their televisions where they have, I mean, you name it, they could watch anything at any point in time. A lot of folks maybe in those days, you know, were just getting introduced to central air conditioning. And, 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 and so, you know, I'm just saying there's lots more reasons to stay in the home today than there was back in those days. And then, and then how, can we, how can we exclude the fact that our culture has been scarred by major events since 1970, such as 9-11, the sexual abuse among religious leadership scandals, COVID pandemic, and perhaps we could think of other things in which, in, I'm, ta- I'm, I'm trying to highlight major, major events, listen, that have altered the way that we live life. They have. And, 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 and we've seen that. I can, I can show you, I can show you in our, in our records, prior to 9-11 and after 9-11, I can show you a downturn in, 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 in lots of things, but I can certainly show you a downturn in the Neighborhood Bible Club attendance. Here's the one positive that I, 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 I would see as I led the Smite campaign is while we maybe not didn't have as many, one of the things that we were blessed with, we were blessed with the fact that moms were now bringing their children to Bible clubs. And it gave us an opportunity to impact the whole family. In many cases, moms were being saved and maybe grandparents were being saved. And so there was some, some positive. But, but again, because of these factors, along certainly with other things, the numeric success of Smite has been on the decline for probably more than 20 years now. Some have even wondered, perhaps, maybe out loud or perhaps maybe privately, whether this program is still viable and whether it's beneficial. And I just want to say that in some respects, I felt like we've, we saw a bit of a rebirth of Smite this year. And I don't, I, I don't know what to account for that other than to say last Sunday night as a church, we cried out to God for the Spirit of God to fill us. And I believe there has to be a connection the fact that as a church, we've emphasized the work of the Holy Spirit. I mean, every, without fail, every single Sunday night that I've been in the pulpit, that we've been uh, pouring ourselves into considering and investigating who is the Holy Spirit and what role does he play in our lives and in our church. 
I think when you emphasize spiritual things, you get a spiritual harvest. And we've done that. And to the glory of God, I don't remember the last night campaign where we had 109 souls saved, but it has been a long, long time. And to God alone goes all of the glory. And we're thankful for it. Now, I, I just want to say that there's no need to reinvent something like Smite. Because at its base level, listen, at its base level, here's what it is. It is gospel work done in the power of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, listen, therefore, there's no need to improve upon that. There, there's no need, listen, the Holy Spirit of God has told us in our Bible that if we'll go forth bearing precious seed, you know what's going to happen? We're going to reap a harvest. If we'll go, if we'll take the gospel, if we'll do our job, then God will do his. And we will see souls saved and lives forever changed. Now, as I thought on this text, and I compared it with what I observed this week, and many of you observed this week, I was reminded, listen, that there are some things that will never grow old. They're they're nothing new. And I want to highlight three of them here tonight. These things will always be necessary and important in our world until Jesus comes. Number one, let me just say this. It's nothing new. It's nothing new, number one, that people still want to be loved. Cares for them to know that someone has a heart for them. What makes Smite successful? Well, man, I believe, I believe it's due to the heart of the workers who are involved. I mean, I, I, I love watching these groups. I mean, they go everywhere looking for people they can minister to. I mean, it, they may be on their lunch break. And they're running to tables at McDonald's or at Taco Bell or at Wendy's. And they're passing out flyers. Hey, we've got a Bible club that's going to be happening at this time. We'd love to have you join. They're running to bus stops. And they're, you know, they're, they're, they're running after people who are riding bikes down the street. And some of that, I'm not even sure it's the wisest thing for us to be doing in this day and age. But they're just, they just have a heart for people. And they're trying to get the message out to everyone who will hear. When they see a child, these workers, man, they go crazy trying to earn the trust of that child and the trust of that child's parent so that child will be able to come to their Bible club. When that child shows up, they treat that kid like he's worth a million dollars. When a child gets on the bus at night, they explode with joy and happiness. We're so glad you're here. And boy, we've been been longing for you. We've been praying for you. Man, I'm so thrilled. This is a blessing. Come sit by me. And and, and when we get to the the church, I want you to sit by me there as well. We're going to have a great time. And all of these types of things, they sing songs, they tell stories, they give away prizes, they play games with these children, all for the purpose that they might have a chance to lead that child to Christ. Well, listen, though the world has changed dramatically from what it once was in 1970, it is nothing new that people still want to be loved and cared for. And if you and I will simply love people genuinely and authentically, we will, without a doubt, we will be given an opportunity to minister to their soul. Now, this led me briefly tonight to make an application to the church. I have to tell you, we must not be satisfied with this kind of ministry one week a year. In other words, I watched some of you come out of your shell this week, greeting children and ministering to parents and visitors and guests, and and that was no problem at all. But if we're not careful, if we're not careful, because next week is not smite week anymore, we'll we'll kind of just transition right back to what we were before. And then we'll wonder, why isn't the church growing? Why aren't people being saved? 
And why isn't ministry happening? Well, you, you, you mark it down. Ministry will happen when 65, 70 people give a whole week to door knocking and to prayer and to seeking God and to ministering in the community. And ministry will cease. Listen, ministry will cease when we all walk away from it. I'm just here to tell you tomorrow night's Great Commission Night. And there needs to be a, a healthy group of folks out tomorrow night saying, you know what, we didn't get enough last week. We need more of this. And we need people who say, you know, maybe I'm not normally involved in that, but God has lit a fire in me. And there's got to be something more to live for than just pleasing myself and pleasing my flesh. And if I'll just simply love people, God will give me someone to minister to. I'm just simply saying, what would happen if we all committed to this mindset each day and week? And this church would grow to the point that we wouldn't be able to accommodate the people. Why? Because people want to know that we love them, and that we care about them. Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 13, charity never faileth. Doesn't fail. Doesn't ma- Listen, it doesn't matter that we're living in 2023. It doesn't matter that this was written in the first century. It doesn't matter that 2,000 years have come and gone. What Paul wrote in this, in this letter to the church at Corinth, listen, is good for today. Charity never fails. In other words, if you love people, if you'll care about people, if you'll invest in people, you'll never have a lack of people to minister to, ever. He says, he says, whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. Go down to the 13th verse, and he says this, and now abide the faith, hope, charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. The second thought I want to bring to your attention why is, why, is, why is smite still viable? Why does it still work in 2023? And here's why. Because it's nothing new. It's nothing new, number two, that people still want to be a part of a team. That hasn't changed. There's something about teamwork. Some of you perhaps can remember being a child and saying something like this, if you go, I'll go too. You know, if we'll do this together, that will embolden me. If you'll get involved in this, I'll get involved in this. I marvel when I see kids who normally are shy and somewhat introverted and they turn into someone completely different on a bus or in a public park or playground. How are they able to come out of their shell? How does that happen? Likely it's because someone in their group believes in them, encourages them, and is standing behind them and inspiring them to grow beyond themselves. And here's what you'll discover when there's a team involved. You'll discover a birth of boldness and synergy and excitement and zeal. All of these things come from the team concept. Put, some, put somebody on a street all alone. Drop, drop one of these workers off at a park all by themselves or in a street all by themselves and say, hey, good luck. And by the way, isn't that some, in some respects what we do with our missionaries? You know, we, they, they, they surrender to the call and we send them to some foreign land that they've never been before to a language and a culture that is foreign, and we say, well, best of luck to you. By God's grace, by God's grace, many of them are doing and have done the job, but I'm just simply saying, wouldn't it be a whole lot better if we could send some teams of folks out? If we could send some folks who will partner together and will say, listen, I won't just go with you to this country or to that country, or I won't just send you there, but I'm going to go with you there. I'm looking at our smite workers across this room, and I want to ask you the question, how bold would you have been 
at your park at 1 o'clock on Tuesday afternoon, if there hadn't been four or five other people standing there with you in the same color shirt ready to get involved, how many of you would have experienced a sense of boldness if you'd been dropped off in a neighborhood and said, this neighborhood is yours and there was no one else there with you to partner together with you? I'm just simply saying people still want to be a part of a team. Listen, this is an entirely biblical principle. Teamwork. Listen to what Listen to what Solomon will write later in this book, Ecclesiastes 4, 9, and 10. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. Why is teamwork so important? Because inevitably, listen, inevitably you're going to fall at some point. And you've got, you got a partner, you've got a team member, you've got a teammate who will reach down and will pull you up and get you back up on your feet and get you back involved in the race. Listen to what Jesus did, Mark 6 and verse number 7. And he called unto him the twelve, and he began to send them forth by one and one. That's not what he did. He sent them forth by two and by two. Not only is there boldness there, but there's accountability there. That's important. It's important. I think to myself of Moses. You know, Moses was doing solo work in Exodus 18. That's what he was doing. He's pretty much all by himself. His father-in-law, a man by the name of Jethro, came to visit him. And he observed, he observed that the solo work, sort of the, the lone ranger type of ministry mindset that Moses had, he observed, he said, this is not good. Does it remind you what the Bible says there in Genesis chapter number two? It is not good that the man should be alone. Now that, of course, is in the context of marriage. But I would say in the context of ministry, it's not good that the man should be alone. He told him, he said, the thing that thou doest, Exodus 18, 17, is not good. That's good advice from Jethro. I don't know much about Jethro. He's the priest of Midian. We don't know a ton about him, but he gives good counsel in Exodus 18. Gives good counsel to a man, a man named Moses. He told Moses, solo ministry, says, will cause you to wear away. And that he could not possibly fulfill God's calling on his life if he did it all alone. Exodus 18, 18, I think the verse will be up there for you. Thou wilt surely wear away both thou and this people that is with thee, for this thing is too heavy for thee. Thou art not able to perform it thyself alone. Listen, there is no way. There's no way that I could pastor this church all by myself. There's no way. It's impossible. The men that God has given us here who serve in a full-time capacity, and then the men that God has given us here who serve on a volunteer basis as deacons and others of you that are involved in leading ministries and and teaching classes and running bus routes. There is no way that one person could do this. And yet here's Moses. He's trying to lead a whole nation all by himself. And Jethro had enough sense to say, this doesn't make any sense. You're going to burn out. And the people are going to burn out with you. There's no way that you could handle all of this. He recommended, here's what he recommended. He recommended team ministry which Moses adopted and implemented. Listen to Exodus 18, 21. Moreover, Jethro speaking, thou shalt provide out of all the people able men, such as fear God, men of truth. Not just anybody can be on this team. It's gotta be people that fear God. I just have to tell you that we, we've, one of the things, one of the changes that we've made in the Smite campaign over the years is we have, we have we've tried to, we've tried to solidify that those that are coming are already involved in ministry before they come. You know Why? You know why? Because, because we, don't, we don't want to have to deal with messes on the Smite campaign. We've got enough things that we're dealing with 
The last thing we need to have to be able to deal with is a carnal Christian, someone who doesn't love the Lord and someone who's really not all that interested in serving the Lord. They're coming because they want to be with their friends. They're coming because they just want to have a good time. Maybe they're coming because they don't want to go to work because they want to get away from their family. That's not what this is about. This is about pouring the gospel into hearts and lives. We don't have time. We don't have time for people that aren't able men. We don't have time for people that don't hate covetousness and people who, uh, who, who aren't men of truth. And then he says that those are the type of people that you place such over them to be rulers of thousands and rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties and rulers of tens. I think to myself, Jesus' three and a half years of public ministry was team-oriented. Now think about this. Jesus himself dare not launch his public ministry without first gathering around him a team. And that was some team, wasn't it? I mean, that was quite a crew. Uh, there, there, were some, there were some weaknesses there. Jesus didn't have a whole lot to work with. Think about what that team would do because of three and a half years spent with Jesus Christ day in and day out. How about Paul? Paul never took a missionary journey by himself. Did you ever stop to think about that? The great apostle Paul never left, never left Antioch to go into some far-flung corner of Europe without having a team alongside of him. How about King David in the Old Testament? So that David had a band of mighty men around him? What's the purpose of all this? Listen, these men understood the biblical concept of team. Men long, listen, men long to have companions and a team to play on. Let me ask you this question. Whose team are you on? Whose team are you on? You can make application in a lot of different areas. I hope that you and your wife are a team. Hope that you and your children, your mom and dad and children are working together as a team. I certainly hope as you go to work tomorrow that you get paired up with someone and, and you can move the thing forward at your business or at your company as a team. But what about, what about the team of believers here at Cleveland Baptist Church? Well, we're a team, aren't we? And let's get, let's get plugged into this thing. And let's draw energy from one another. And let's draw boldness from one another. And let's draw zeal from one another. Who are you serving with? And who are you training or who you're coaching to service? Thirdly and finally, it's nothing new. People still want to live for an eternal purpose. Why give up a week, sleep on the floor, shower in a locker room? Stop right there, can't we, for just a few minutes for those of you that did it this week? Pay money, walk around outside in the sun all day, eat fast food for lunch every single day god help us right lose sleep why do all of that for a whole week of the summer you know we work each day for a physical paycheck and that's fine but here's here's what i discover i discover we're willing to sacrifice a little more if we think it will serve an eternal purpose in other words i'll I'll be willing to, to weary myself just a little bit more if i think to myself wait a minute on the other end of this thing perhaps souls that will be saved boys and girls have an opportunity to hear the gospel i've seen it i've seen carnal kids come to smite i've watched their lives change forever when they discover there's nothing there's nothing like living for an eternal purpose the souls of men and women are hanging in the balance not just the week of smite but every week every day winning them to christ listen winning them to christ will never grow old never Defeating the devil will never grow old. Knowing that people are being spared from eternal hellfire and damnation will never grow old. So what have we learned this week? Truthfully, we haven't learned anything new. 
Now this is, this is as old as man. Go all the way back to the beginning and you'll discover that man has always had a desire to be loved and cared for. Church family, if we'll just simply, listen, we'll just simply pour ourselves into loving and caring for folks. Well, I, I, you know, listen, we, we might look at times in our past, in our own individual lives, or maybe even collectively, where, where maybe we haven't been as loving as we ought to be. And I can't do anything about going back and changing that or reversing that. But here's what I can do. I can change what I do from here on out. We need to begin loving people passionately, caring for them. When they walk into these doors, they're not always going to look like we look. They're not always going to be dressed the way that we're dressed. They're not always going to have the, you know, maybe what we think it is required to have it together. Who cares? Love them anyway. Love them. I mean, smile. I mean, can you imagine? Can you imagine if we treated guests who came in the back doors of this church the way that these smite workers treated kids that came to their Bible club? And we might scare some people off. But at the end of the day, I think we'd do a whole lot of good. I just simply, and by the way, by the way, let's not, just, let's not just save that for guests and visitors. Why don't we love on each other just a little bit? And why don't we look at one another? And why don't we just tell them, you know what? I love you. I'm thankful for you. And I'm so glad to see you. And you're a blessing and you're an encouragement to me. Our community responds well to love and care. Every community responds well to acts of love, service, and care. Here's, here's what else we learn. I mean, it's, it's really as old as the sun rising and setting, but it's still true. And here's it, here it is. Ministry is a lot easier when working as a team. Here's the final thing. People will make sacrifices so long as it is for an eternal purpose. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed tonight.